Beginning the track, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. of duet okay it's a very it's a very serious episode i don't have a, a funny button do you want me to give you a funny button i i was hoping you would <laughs> so go <laughs> Just, uh go be funny like you know yeah, i'm not funny right I think you're great. I, I laugh all the time around you and with you. And I'm trying to not say at you. <laughs> yeah, most people are. That's fair. But it wasn't a, a particularly funny episode at all. And our conversation wasn't particularly funny either. So Yeah, duets very... <sighs> that one got me so... Yeah. Is this... Like, this is not the hopeful Star Trek. Ah, oh, it's too <laughs> real. Yeah, it's this is... Uh, this is a hard-hitting episode right off the bat from uh, from Deep Space Nine, but oh, so good, and so our conversation is so juicy. We should... Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Beginning the Trek. I am the newbie. I'm watching everything for the first time, so you're getting my first reactions, which should be fun because you probably have already seen this, and hopefully you're remembering your first time watching uh, and that's always a good time to see somebody else reflect. And I am Andy, the the veteran and the guy who's been uh, uh, watching Star Trek since uh, I could pretty much walk, and certainly since I could carry a phaser. And uh, I'm all about trying to give the gift of Star Trek to anyone that wants it. So I'm taking Jessica through her journey of 52 episodes. We are on episode 30. 30. We're on episode 30. We're 30. on episode 30. More than... Duet. Yes. Does that scare you? We're more than halfway done because we've only got 52. Wow. Yeah. That's... We are... We're definitely on the on the back side of the track. I kind of... You know, I wanted to bring this up just as a reminder because we are more than halfway through. And if somebody's listening uh, for the first time and hasn't been following, you might want to go back, start at the beginning. This is definitely a set thing. We've picked 52 because we wanted to do this weekly and we wanted to do it for a year. And that way anybody could get introduced to anything that they liked along the way because it's such a big universe. So that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to cover all of Star Trek or all of the ideas. It's just find what you like and run with that because there's so much of Star Trek. Yeah, You're and, love and we something. designed this. I designed this so that we would you'd be able to start with the base and build on it with, with stories. So we've got some stories coming up here in Deep Space Nine that uh, are going to uh, directly uh, come from things we saw like in the original series. So... Uh, it's good to start at the beginning. Good, great place to start. Starting at the <laughs> beginning. Unless you're doing time travel, what a great place to start. Oh, timey-wimey. Wibbly-wobbly. I'm happy that this one didn't have that, because that would have just been weird. No, but but you're not going to get out of Deep Space Nine without some more time travel. That's definitely going to happen. I don't think you can get out of any Star Trek without time travel. Like, every series has got to have... Pretty much. And I think we're going to see it in all of them. So there you go. Uh, but today we're doing duet. Okay. Do you want to spoil this episode? I think that it's just time for you to give your 10 cent synopsis. All right. <clears throat> just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm preparing myself. Some of these are very long-winded sentences, but there was a lot in this one. I Yeah, this one, I can't imagine. A passenger boards Deep Space Nine with a medical condition known as Kalanora that we learned from Kira only comes from a mining accident at a Bajoran labor camp, Galatep, that she helped liberate. 
Expecting a Bajoran, she's pretty surprised to find instead a middle-aged Cardassian who says he doesn't have Kalinora. It's another disease that has the exact same appearance. Odo puts him in a cell because he's definitely lying. He totally has Kalinora, and if he does, he's a war criminal, and Kira is given permission to handle the investigation and interrogation. Turns out this guy is Maritza. He's just a filing clerk who was at Galatep, and don't be ridiculous, all of those bad things were just rumors because of the camp leader, Guldar Heel. Sisko gets pressure from the Cardassians, but he wisely refuses to release Maritza until his identity is confirmed. While investigating, we find an image and do some cool CSI enhancing to discover that Maritza, yes, was at Galatep, but the guy in the cell is definitely not him, but he actually looks a lot like this Guldar Heel. Maritza confesses that yes, he is Galdar Heel, and then brags about some horrible, horrible things that were done to the Bajorans. Odo gets even more suspicious and discovers not only is this Cardassian wanting to be caught, but the doctors found evidence that Darheel's face has been altered. Which Maritza then admits he's yes, Maritza, and not Darheel, and tries to stop Kira from releasing him in the hopes that the Cardassians will admit what they've done, who they are, and start to atone. Kira releases him anyway, saying she's not willing to let him sacrifice his life, and a Majoran man comes through the crowd and stabs him in the back and kills him. The end. And it was not a lot of funny in this one. Let's talk episode. Okay, duet. Uh, Shall we dance? Oh, how very nice. I think we shall. Shall we dance with knives and words? And words and, and... Lots and lots of nasty. Lots and lots of nasty. So much nasty that I actually rated this on something that's pretty nasty. Stabby knives. Well, backstabbing knives. Backstabbing knives. Yeah. Oh, oh, the the assassin's knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, four out of five. Four out of five assassin knives. Excellent, excellent episode. Yeah. I think I'm going to start to like DS9. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, didn't, I told hey. you. Told, and we're still in the first season right now. So I, I, we managed to get... There you go. The, you know, I, I know you hate your baseball metaphors. <laughs> it does seem like there's a lot of baseball in DS9. Well, there is. There's a baseball on Cisco's desk. He's got a baseball there. If you haven't seen it yet, you'll see it. It's sitting there right on his desk. Um, but as much as you hate the baseball metaphor, I can tell you that every now and then, uh, a rookie hits a home run in his first at-bat, and Duet is certainly a first-season home run for Deep Space Nine. It's really beautiful. I think this managed to mix the Deep Space Nine tone and darkness and storyline even with the Bajorans and the Cardassians and the war and the revenge and the all of that with a super classic Star Trek feel and message. So whatever that magical mix is between tone and story and message, it's uh, it felt very Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> um, and takes you through a huge journey. God, where do, where do you even start with this? I, I I looked at the the duet between the two of them, the 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 dance, the the ballet, whatever the heck these two, Kira and Eamon Maritza, as it turns out, right, uh, did trying to determine what each one was up to and. Uh, going through each of them with their, their secret agendas. And it all starts with Kira saying he's guilty. They're all guilty. Cardassians. Right. Cardassians that were at Galatap. 
the whole journey, and you know, I mean, to, to spoil the ending, folks, uh, when the the assassin kills him, kills Maritza, mm-hmm. and says he's a Cardassian. That's reason enough because he's in the same place that she was in. He's exactly where she was at the beginning of the episode, and then her response, which ends the episode, of "No, it isn't. It isn't enough." <sighs> This is what I talked about, about Kira being my Spock, about Kira having those who am I and what am I going to discover about myself moments. I love the way that she discovers who she is through this episode. Do you think the same happens with Maritza? Does he discover something? I think so. Um, Yes, I do. Uh, God, that man is such a great actor. Oh, insane. We should mention his name because... We might as well. We're going to be talking about him for at least a really long time because he is this episode. Har- Harris Eulen. Harris Eulen. His acting yeah. carries this episode so hard. And the second he started talking, I knew, like, I've seen this guy at least in like four other things. And when I looked it up, the ones I remembered him from was uh, X-Files and Buffy. He's just one of those actors that you see everywhere and with good reason. <laughs> I- I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through his stuff. He was in Ghostbusters 2. He was Stuart Saves the Family. Just a lot of, yeah, just tons and tons of credits here. And you're right. He's, he's another one of those guys. Another one of those, oh, I, I've seen him. And then you sort of forget. And, you, you know, like he's familiar, but he's not familiar. Mm-hmm. Harris Eulen. Can we talk about the journey? Because I just kind of want to go step by step. There was, because uh, I have some questions. Yeah, That's yeah, it. absolutely. So, uh, he comes in and he's a liar trying to sneak through only we're supposed to pretty easily see through that he's a liar and he's purposefully trying to look like he's sneaking through. Yes. And then he goes full evil, bad guy claiming to be dark. Well, first he's his first claim is I'm nobody. Right. And I don't even, and I don't even have, Oh, what's the name of the the disease? Right. He pretends the disease isn't the, right, isn't the disease. I, I don't have Kalinora syndrome. I have something else. I have Patrick syndrome. It's similar. It may, you know, I have to use the same medication, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lie that they see through immediately just with a simple medical scan. Right. So. Then he's Maritza. And he's, he, you got to keep in mind now that you know, right? You didn't know it for. That's the beauty of this episode was not knowing that first. Wish I could go back and watch it again, not knowing who he really is, because <laughs> I can never have that surprise again, too. Uh, but so he's Maritza, n- wanting to eventually convince them that he is Galdar Heel, and his plan is: I'm going to lie, I'm going to lie again, I'm going to keep on lying until they catch me. And then I'm going to make myself the evil man they want me to be mm-hmm. until they get their vengeance and thereby heal Cardassia as well, which was his, he, you know, he was a patriot for Cardassia in a way. He wanted the healing. When he's purposefully trying to look like he's the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and he gives those great lines, the <laughs> what you call genocide, I call a day's work. Yeah. It's just chilling and disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go even deeper. Odo discovers all the other stuff. And then we see he really is Maritza. And then there's this moment where 
when Kira prods him at first, he goes full uh, admiration. So even if he is Maritza, he's really, really admiring of all of the horrible, evil things that Darheel did. Mm-hmm. And he's really ashamed of himself as a Cardassian that he was hiding under the table, crying, trying to full of shame. I'm I'm trying to figure out what his shame was. Was he ashamed because he couldn't do anything about it because he hated the atrocities and couldn't do anything about it? it and that made him ashamed to be a Cardassian. I don't think he was ashamed of who he, or, or was he ashamed that he was a coward and Cardassians aren't cowards. Where was his actual shame coming from? That was my question, too, because both seem to be true at the same time. I think he wishes if he wasn't ashamed of being Cardassian, at least he should have been like Darheel. And if you're going to be a part of this evil atrocity, he wishes he could at least be that guy who says what you call genocide, I call a day's work. Yeah. Obviously, ultimately, he can't be. And even if he is that guy, he wants that guy to die, too. He wants that guy to stand up in front of everybody and and them to have their justice. And for Cardassia to see it and and come to terms with, no, this really is horrible, beyond horrible. Yeah, you have to get what you did. Yeah. Um, you have to get what we did. Not just what you did, what we all did. Because he felt like he was a part of it. He felt so guilty. And, and I, his guilt has got to come from... That he was, he couldn't do anything about it because ultimately what he wanted to do was try and get Cardassia to stand up and admit what they did. Right. Instead of sweeping it under the rug. You know, I mean, this is, if you didn't pick up on the obvious Holocaust right. connections, you know, I mean, this is, this is about as, this is about as direct a connection as you could probably make. And even, I mean, even the name Galatep, the name of the labor camp, Galatep labor camp sounded real to me. You know, it had this, this feeling that it had actually happened. They did a really good job of creating this backstory of this, the, the labor camp and the rescuing of it and the atrocities that happened there. And you could like, Without even getting specific, you could picture it. I could picture it anyway. I think my mind was like, I don't want to picture this. Because the second she started describing it, which is this the first time we really see? Because we've had, I mean, with Ensign Rowe, kind of the introduction to all of what Bajor went through and mm-hmm. the Bajorans were doing and fighting. Uh, and then they get called, I mean, throughout, they do get called kind of whiny or they don't know what they're doing or uh, they're just militant. And as a reaction, you're like, well, what are they, what are they supposed to be? Like, what is going to make you happy? Nothing's going to make you happy. The Bajorans are never going to make you happy. They're never going to be either strong enough to tell you to shut up and leave them alone mm-hmm. or weak enough for you to just be not taking advantage of them. So it's an interesting position that they get put in. But is this the first time we really get details because they get detailed about Kira's past, too, that she was on, what was that, like, special squad or something that actually freed Galatep. Yeah. Yeah, that she was a part of the, she was a part of the... Liberation, liberation or, movement, or not movement, the liberation team that came in there and, and, and freed it and liberated it. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, it's... I, you're right. I'm uncomfortable just sitting here talking about it from the, 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 the Holocaust-y 
feel of it. It's which is perfect. Yeah, you really you you should feel that way, right? You have to get it. You know, I've, I, there was a when I watched this uh, this episode, it reminded me of an old. There was a Twilight Zone episode that I couldn't remember the name of the episode. It was called Death's Head Revisited. I had to go back and look it up. It's about a uh, a concentration camp captain, a, a, a guy, a Nazi, and he goes back to visit it. I probably watched that episode thirty years ago, but I still remember the name of the of the, I assume it's fictitious concentration camp. It was called Dachau. Dachau. And um, I never forgot it. I don't think I'll ever forget Galatep either. And they're both, like, it felt real. This is getting creepy. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a creepy episode, though. You know what's interesting, too, is it's a very claustrophobic episode. It's mostly Kira and this guy sitting in kind of a tight room, and he's on display in a cell. Yeah. And it's a very closed in. There's no action. There's no shiny things happening in the background. Nobody's moving around. It's the two of them. Very little special effects. It's a bottle episode. It's it, it's definitely a you know a, a bottle with just them, and very little else to distract you from this story. There's no B plot. That's right. Maybe that's what also makes it feel so intense. And it still feels completely filled through filled out it does the pacing was really nice yeah um so they managed to do that without an additional plot in there you know taking 15 minutes out i wonder if that scares the writer because you have this script and you can look at it and say i've written some really good stuff i mean i think i could look at those words and be like wow this is really intense but until you until an actor delivers those like what if they hadn't gotten good actors this could be a horrible awful stale you had you had fantastic writing you had fantastic actors you had fantastic direction the pacing was awesome the editing was great they put the right music underneath it to to bring your emotions out the storyline was so you tell me how fooled were you all along the way did you think he was maritza when he said it was maritza the first time no I did not. So that was a complete surprise to me. You were right there with Kira. Yes. Thinking this guy is more than he says he is. Yes. And then you felt completely justified when you found out you were right. Yes. And you weren't. Of course not. Yeah. Which is great because I don't want to be. <laughs> and and the shock of going from him as Darheel and I couldn't tell he believed those things, didn't he? Like in my head, I'm thinking this. And then he goes to Maritz and just breaks down and he cries. And while I wasn't crying with him, because I was still like, ugh, yeah, you're still evil in my head. You said those things without. You wanted to hate him so much. And it turns out he was trying to figure out any way to do anything. Which we got to talk about Cardassians in general here. So tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Are they not the most dramatic aliens ever? Like, hmm. Even when he wants to commit suicide. He does it in like this epic martyr. I'm going to pretend to be this evil guy so that people can get justice. In the end, he's so ashamed he doesn't want to live. That's super dramatic. 
Well, Cardassians are very flamboyant. You know, they love their they love their military parades. They love their flowery language. You see the way that he talks to that that Goldicott talks to um, Cisco and then Odo. They don't shut up. <laughs> No, no, they won't shut up. They won't shut up. And everything is flowery with a smile. Turns out Galdicott was perfectly honest, as far as we could tell, during this whole thing. He said... When he said that uh, Darheel was dead. I, I attended his funeral, and you're holding one of our citizens, and we want him back. Did they want him back, or did they just want to pick a fight? Well, I, I my guess would be anything that anybody's doing against a Cardassian, he's going to have, whether it's for political reasons or because he, he probably doesn't have a heart. Goldicott probably doesn't have much of a heart. But if it serves him to demand justice of the Federation to return their citizen, then he's going to take it on like any politician would, right? <laughs> Stir the pot. Turns out. That is wrong, stirring the pot and thinking that way. Because if somebody took a Federation citizen and was accusing them of, like, war crimes that Picard did or some weird stuff like that, you'd be like, hey, give us our citizen back. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, no, you don't get to just take a guy, especially since you're telling us that he's somebody that right. we know is dead. I mean, from his perspective, right. he's like, no. Uh, that guy is dead. Give us our guy back. It's not him. I know it's not him. I was at his funeral. And then the conversation with Odo. Notice how familiar Odo and Ducat are with each other that um, Odo... They played at least one game together. They played one game and Cheater. Ducat cheated because Ducat. <laughs> That's... Because Cardassian? Is that what we're going with? Well, I don't know. Are all Cardassians... Do they ever get filled out? Are all Cardassians bad? Are all Cardassians... I don't know. What was? How, what do you think of Maritza? I think that was precisely the point. Yeah. It was, it was a nice filling out of they're not all... They're not all necessarily up to what we would think are immoral things or, you know, things that would be on our immoral side of judgment. God, that was a horrible way to put that. I think having a camp where you enslave people, murder them, rape them, and all of the other stuff she talked about is legitimately a standard that everyone can consider evil. If something says it's alive and you treat it in any way like described, like there has to be, we can't, we can't make morality like, oh, well, you have your sense and I have mine. There are some things that are, no, this is off the table for any living thing. And I would think that Galdar Heel would be considered evil by most every standard out there, with the possible exception of the Cardassian military standard. But was Maritza evil? That's what I wanted to ask, too. Seemed like it at the beginning, didn't it? Well, sure, when he's... He was there. He's guilty. He was... That's what Kira says. Even even after everything is revealed, and even if he is intentionally trying to help in this slightly psychotic way slightly, totally psychotic way, is he still guilty? Because we've talked, I think we talked about this in the last one where there is a line where somebody hands you something to do and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And even if it's paper pushing at a labor camp, you have to recognize where you are and say, I'm not going to do this. And the fear of losing your job, the fear of losing your life, everybody's line is different, but are you still a criminal for having participated even when the participation is as small? And I think everybody can look at this and say, oh, yes, Darheel was worse. But Maritza's right. He's there. 
and Kira's right a little bit too. He was that he didn't help. He didn't try and get people out. He didn't use his position for any kind of good that we know of. That we well, he certainly didn't seem like he was proud of. Hey, look, I helped people. He acts as though he he did what he was told and then went under his bunk and cried about it and then felt like not a Cardassian for it. You know, he felt right. like he, w- he was ashamed of what of who he was, of what he was, that, that he couldn't be the Cardassian that they wanted him to. He had a different set of, he had a different set of, of, of morals. He had a different set of ethics, not more. Yeah. Eth- but even having that different set of ethics, he didn't fight or leave. He not didn't until now. inspire a rebellion among, it's just like, should he have gone to that tribunal? Yes, they didn't get the commanding head guy because he's already dead, but they, in our own history, we did try people who were just guards at concentration camps. Yeah. As humans, I'm saying in our own human history. I hear you. Yeah. So when everybody's just okay with letting him go, I get that he's got a good heart. Maybe this one. Yeah. This one left me. This is it's, it's hard. Uh, again, what was his, what was his shame? It feels like his shame was, I wish Cardassians had done things differently, or I wish I could have done something to stop it. But his shame, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. He was not happy with being in a camp where people were being tortured and murdered. And ah, man, this is a tough one. Yeah. Not that this is dark, but it's, Oh, this is way dark. It's, I thought this was very dark. It's heavy. Especially with some of his lines. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the it's funny because um, when, when, he, when he finally becomes Darheel, mm-hmm. or, or reveals himself to be Darheel, and it was a real, when I watched it, it's a real quick change it's because that's what Maritza wants to do. He wants to get to this point right. where he can have them firmly believe that he's Darheel. Right. So that they can get on with it and he, you know, that's what he wants. So when he says, and I, and I actually, I typed this out because it was so amazing. You can't dismiss me this easily. He's talking to Kira. Can't dismiss me that easily. What I, I did what had to be done. My men understood that and that's why they loved me. I would order them to go out and kill Bajoran scum and they'd do it. They'd murder them and they'd come back covered in blood, but they felt clean. And I thought about our conversation about the wounded from the, from the next generation. And Captain Maxwell, who said the same thing, I did what had to be done. Right. And there was Picard sitting right there saying what had to be done. Right. This is the result of somebody for whom there was nobody to say what had to be done. To question my men understood that. What do they understand? What do you like? Nobody was there to ask this guy the questions. Does that mean there are no Cardassians that could? Certainly, Maritza was there, but couldn't ask the questions. And that was a really interesting. Certainly, parallel. Maritza was there and couldn't ask the questions without consequence. Without consequence. And that's the difference, because you don't get to just say, "Well, I couldn't do anything." You can always do something. You might yeah. lose your life over that. I think on the extreme end, but here's the thing, protesters all over the world and throughout history have lost their lives for things that they believed so much that they said, no, I will take this consequence to not be or to question you. I will be that person who is questioning you. And when you don't want to see it and you shoot me in the face or whatever the version of it is, 
then you have to face that you killed somebody because you didn't want to hear that question. You're right, you do. And I don't know... Listen, I haven't been involved in a protest where I felt the need to put my life on the line. Oh, me either. I don't know. This is something that I think is really fascinating because I think that most people don't know. Yeah. Here's interesting, though. Cisco is teaching Kira to do the same thing, to look deeper and to question more. Mm -hmm. And I liked that he played politics so that her and Odo could get to the bottom of something because he's just like, well, if we don't know, we need to keep digging. You don't get to make that initial assumption and then just cut off his head. Yeah. And as it turns out, it was the right thing to do to keep digging, to not just make, this was so much a, a, a conversation, a story about first impressions about Uh, jumping to conclusions about who somebody is, what they are, and what can happen if you aren't willing to dig and really, like, like, what are you committed to? Are you committed to being right, like Mm -hmm. Kira was at first, or are you committed to being authentic, you know, getting to the bottom of it? Finding the truth, even when you don't like the truth. And that's where Kira ends up. And then the assassin comes in because he would rather be right. He didn't need to know that this guy could have actually made a bigger difference. He just knew Cardassian must be killed. I have a very, very tiny gripe about that particularly. I have a huge gripe about that particularly. What's your gripe? They don't even call the doctor. We have all this like medical, amazing sci-fi technology, and they don't even bother to call. He gets stabbed like one time. Yeah, he dies really quick, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's the minor portion of it. Oh, tell me what I meant. Let me tell you the big, the bigger portion of it is this guy okay. is, it was, was, there were rumors all over the station. There were people who had come from Galatep. The station is crawling with people that might want to hurt this guy. And they're parading him through the promenade with a security force of one, Odo. Yeah. Who's only there to grab the guy after the assassin's dagger. Now... I know Odo it didn't mean to let that happen. There's no way that that was a... Odo is about as straight as you can get with the stuff. So it wasn't that. But damn, that's a bad security. <laughs> and he's so good at... Well, maybe he's just really a whole lot better at being a detective than being like brute force. Because he did an amazing job finding out everything. He yeah. just did a really poor job of actual protecting. <laughs> right. When it came right down to it, it's like you're going to walk this guy through the the busy Bajoran station, the one, you know, a Cardassian. We, we've already established that these people are there to see justice done. Yeah. There's a lot of angry people on board. Apparently, you don't restrict. Well, I mean, I guess you can't restrict knives. So it was nice that nobody had like a phaser because they could have. Here's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Do you think the story required Maritza to die? Because they did kind of go out of their way to kill him in the story. They made sure that he didn't survive the episode. And I thought about that. I, I was thinking, what would have happened if he had lived? And what would have right. happened was they probably would have needed to create some sort of storyline about it. He goes and, you know, goes on the talk show circuit or something or becomes a... The ambassador-esque kind of thing. Something, right? right? Like, like they could have turned him into a an ongoing character. Mm -hmm. But I think in order for Kira to really get her lesson, hence 
the audience to get our lesson. We had to see somebody that had the exact same opinion as her complete the task that she thought she wanted to do and have her see that it was wrong. Right. I wish he hadn't died because I would have liked to have seen a storyline with this, you know, this Bajoran sympathizer. I don't know what he is at this point. You know, I don't know what he is. Um, but certainly somebody that that wants to change Cardassia for, for what he considers to be the better. Really interesting. I wonder that he went so far in this one particular direction. If he had spent just as much effort getting people to understand or see things in Cardassia or spreading the truth that he had. Mm-hmm. But in his mind, and I don't know if I don't know if this is true, but my guess is yes, the big dramatic cutting off his head or like whatever would have been that martyr would have had more of an impact than him just doing the best he could trying to spread anything that he could about the truth that he knew, which was that Cardassians messed up. They messed up bad and they need to face it. Shall we talk some Trek? Let's talk some Trek. You mentioned something earlier that I want to know about. Okay. You called this a bottle episode, which I have heard in passing before. And I've heard people say that bottle episodes are great episodes, and I have no idea what that means. What is a bottle episode of Trek? Oh, okay. Uh, So so a a bottle episode, not just in Trek, but in television. Oh, this is a movie thing or a TV thing. Yeah, no, yeah. So it's a a television term or slang. And what a bottle episode is, is an episode of, of your show where you don't go anywhere. There's no additional sets. There's no locations. There's no additional stuff. You've got all. You've already got all your sets right. that you use. You usually don't have more than one or two additional guest stars. Sometimes you have no guest stars, and it's simply the the regular cast of the of the show. So it's often done as a as a dollar saving thing, sure. as a time saving thing. A lot of times these shows will get a budget for an entire season. So if you can do a bottle episode, you'll save a lot of money on it, which you can then use for the big special effects thing later on. Right. So and duet is definitely a bottle episode because really it's got just a couple of guest stars. Um, you've got the Maritza character himself. You've got mm-hmm. the Bajoran that's in the in the cell, mm-hmm. uh, and then Dakot, and that's right. And that's it. Pretty, pretty much, much it, except for the people who gather around at the end doing nothing. Pretty much extras. You're not hearing, right. you know, I mean, they are by comparison to, you know, anybody that's got a line. Right. Um, they're relatively inexpensive. I've, I've, yeah. I've been one of those guys. Not on Star Trek, but I've been one of those guys. Yeah, so that's a bottle episode. Just as easily as they can be amazing, they could flop really hard. And some do. But some of the bottle episodes are people's favorites because it's just more of the characters we love doing the things we love in the places that we already love. All right. That sounds like this was, it feels like stage play kind of stuff. Yeah. So two actors just breaking our hearts or making us mad or that's what it is. Yeah, there weren't weren't a lot of special effects. Uh, We didn't need to see a lot of, there weren't a lot of scenes where it was out in public where there were a lot of people walking around in the promenade. This was probably a fairly inexpensive episode to make. There's there's several. I, I hadn't really thought about bottle episodes. Give me one. Give me one other that people seem to enjoy. Okay. Um... 
I'll do it like this. I'll do it like this. Okay, so from the original series, if you want to go back to the original series, uh, a bottle episode that you watched would be The Naked Time. Oh, okay, sure. Everything takes place on the ship, uh, except for that one little scene at the beginning where they go down to that frozen that frozen area. It's all the characters from the ship. There's very little extra. For not, not a lot of special effects. Good bottle episode. Um, I've mentioned Disaster. Uh, which is a great bottle episode that takes place on the ship during a disaster. So power's out. They don't even have to deal with a lot of special effects and lighting is all different. Um, just, just the kids that are with Picard and Ensign Rowe are pretty much, and Miles O'Brien, I guess, would also be a, a, are in that. We're pretty much the only extra characters. Uh, Owen Keiko has her baby in that episode. The one that Worf delivers. The one that Worf delivers, yes. I didn't even have to watch that episode. <laughs> it, it's a fun episode. So those are I, kind of examples of bottle episodes. Okay. I just don't have any ready other ones. But that's does that explain it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Was uh, Measure of a Man a bottle episode? Is that a bottle episode? It might be. Probably. I'm trying to remember how many extra sets they put together because I remember that he has a conversation with the judge in some captain-y place. Yeah, is it ten forward or is it is it like some restaurant or something? I don't remember. Hmm. Seems like he has a conversation with her in a yeah at the very beginning, not Enterprise it's, location. Yeah. yeah. So close. maybe a bit of a bottle episode, maybe kind of close. Yeah, it could close. Um, it's, it's just, you know, they are typically episodes where they're going to save a little money on the budget by by sticking to the same sets, sticking to the characters that they're already paying. Right. To the actors that they're – they got to pay all those actors that get those credits, whether they show up in the episode or not. Didn't know that. Is that why when you have a regular and it says guest starring and you're like, is it really guest starring? Because they're in the, almost all of these. Is that why that exists? Yes. I did not know that. Yes. That is a big part of it. There are classifications of of star, mm-hmm. the show's stars, guest stars, co-stars, featuring. There's all kinds of, and they're all negotiation tactics that they use to figure out what ranges of payments and things like that. And, you know, depending on where you are on the ladder of Hollywood success, you can negotiate better credits, you can negotiate to be at the front, and then they do the guest starring, and they'll do all those. They'll do what's called the top of show guest. That's the first one you see. Um, that's obviously going to be Harris sure. Ulan. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole nomenclature. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like well, if language here. is indicative of what we care about, apparently, this is a big thing because we have one word for love, and like 40 for what level of success you have on a show as an actor. I'm not sure what to make of that statement. Me either. Didn't you mention that you'd seen a bunch more? I saw all the ones between progress and duet. So you watched if wishes were horses. I did, which I did not recommend. (laughs) And it was interesting. (laughs) We got a few minutes. Tell me about your impressions of If Wishes Were Horses. So let's see. It was If Wishes Were Horses, Dramatis Personae, and what was the third one? The Forsaken. And The Forsaken. Which I actually liked. I knew you would. You recommended it as a Alexana Troy episode. 
I, I, that was interesting. Her and Odo being stuck. Uh, I really disliked the ending of if wishes were horses. Um, remind everybody about if wishes were horses. Uh, okay. So if wishes were horses, then apparently the DS nine crew is all screwed because their imaginations are cray cray. <laughs> and the first thing, the first hint that you get is O'Brien ends up with Rumpelstiltskin in his daughter's bedroom which was amazing, by the way, because he was totally the dad who's just like, there's no monsters. Oh, my God, under your bed. <laughs> uh, he had you had that moment. He's just like, oh, crap. I did not expect a real creature to be sitting there. All Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, certainly a highlight early in the episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Cisco, of course, has a baseball or Jake has a baseball Cisco. character. Cisco, I think. Is Cisco the one, does. Yeah. Um, but he comes along with Jake and uh, Dr. Bashir imagines a very willing and loving version of Dax. Yeah, kind of a sex kitten version of Dax. Right. Yeah. In which she is more appalled at the submissiveness of his imagination version of her than she is, because the first thing she says to him really is actually very sweet, because she recognizes that if you took some of any of our imaginations and put it on display for everyone to see, that would be horribly, not just embarrassing, but a pretty severe violation. Some people like weird things, and even some people liking not weird things, we consider to be, like, sex isn't bad, but suddenly if you imagine this woman and then she comes true, and everybody else gets to see that you're imagining her, that's such a horrible revelation. It's not shocking. I told you. Um, but it was <laughs> not so the that best was, episode to watch. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah. And the, but what bugged me about that was the ending when O'Brien is getting confronted and he's just like, "Would you? Would you give up your daughter to save everyone?" And he doesn't immediately say no, which is floors me. He's actually like sitting there considering it when Cisco says, "Oh, don't worry about that. I have the perfect solution. We'll just all stop believing what we're seeing." Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to watch that. I did not recommend it. Okay. In fact, I was very specific in saying not recommend You it. did not. And I did anyway. There were only three episodes between the last one and this one. So I get it. So, so and then you watched the, you said you watched the Forsaken. That's the Odo and, and Luxana Troy episode where they get trapped on the turbo lift. Right. And he's run out of his, his time. You did you get to learn a lot about Odo in that. Yes, you do. It's one of the reasons I suggested it and said, you'll like this one. I, yeah, I want to know, was he invented? Is he a something that somebody came across and made goo into sentience? It's just fascinating. You will learn more about that in your track in a, awesome. few, in a few episodes. We're going to... We're going to spoil a few things about the last half of Deep Space Nine when we get there. Cool. I yeah. like it. Because yeah. I thought he was interesting from the pilot. I thought he was... The one that I was just like, yay, let's take a longer trip on Odo. He's, he's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, they, and then the last one that you watched was... Dramatis Personae? Personae? Personae, yes. Yes. Uh, and that's where the, like, telepath matrix causes, comes in from a ship, and then they're replaying a mutiny. So... That one kind of threw me because I wasn't familiar enough with the characters, but it turns out I kind of was because at the very beginning, it's pretty subtle. And I was sitting there thinking, 
I don't think he would say this. What's happening? Ah. And I was just like, and then you find out later that they're all being taken over and, and Dax being just like complacent and laying around. Um, yeah. How they all sort of, and, and, and Cisco building the clock. Right. Which he doesn't even remember. He was super into it. He was like, don't bother me with anything. This is important. How did you, why did you build that? I have no idea. Interesting. If you're going to, cause the, the psychology of somebody who's going to build a clock is a very particular time-consuming kind of personality, I would think. Yep, yeah, but it's not like they were all like like latent things of their personalities were coming out. They were all sort of just taking on these weird, odd things. I mean, it wasn't like they looked and said, well, he's always been like this or she's always been like that. Right. No, Dax hasn't went... always been so wishy-washy that she'll make deals with both sides. That's never been her thing. Right. And yet she was doing that. So it was just they... I couldn't figure out... None of them were being themselves. Did the doctor actually have it or not? I don't remember at the very end because everything comes out of their faces... I need to go back and rewatch that because I thought that he was the Odo kind of plays on that. And he's just like, you and I, we're the only ones who have this. So, so there were three episodes. I recommended the yes. Forsaken, which you watched and liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely didn't recommend um, if wishes were horses and you watched it and you agree with my not recommendation. Right. Well, I'd say, I mean, it's, I didn't like the ending, but the rest of it was actually interesting. It was, it was I mean, it was an interesting concept. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. Okay. See, and this is why, remember when you asked me, can you tell me some of the ones that are bad? Oh, and you're like, you would have put that up as. I, if Wishes Were Horses is one I would just not want to watch again. And yet I can't make that judgment for you. Fair enough. And then, uh, and then Dramatis Personae, which I said is a good episode but might be confusing for people that don't know these characters very well yet. Spot on description, yes. We've reached the end of the first season. There's only one more episode. Then season two starts out with a three-part story. Oh. And this is fairly new for for television. You know, they weren't doing these long story arcs yet. Oh, but but this is three distinct episodes. It's not like... They tossed the dis into, okay, thank God. I was like, we're going to watch one that's huge. Correct. Yeah, it's three distinct episodes. So, yeah, no, we're not. Okay. Uh, all I'm going to do is tell okay. you about them. These are not on the, the next week list. These are just, and they're good. They're good stories. So, The Homecoming, The Circle, and The Siege are episodes one, two, and three okay. of, the, of the second season. And in that, we will we start by a, a freedom fighter, a, a former colleague of Kira's, um, comes to the station, and for him, the fight is far from over. And by the end of it, the Circle is a Cardassian militant group that is now fighting against the the government, and they're on their way, and they're thinking they're going to. Take over the station, okay. so they are not associated with the Bajoran militia, but they're coming. Okay. So, all of that happens in these first three episodes. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, episode five of the second season is called Cardassians. Okay. And it's a it's a bottle episode. There's a bottle episode for you uh, about, uh, and this one involves Garrick the. Soul remaining, I think I've mentioned him before, the soul remaining um, Cardassian oh, okay. on the station. Yeah. He's the tailor yeah. and probably a spy. 
Uh, and in Cardassians, we get to examine um, war orphans. What happens to the kids that were left behind by the Cardassian officers who left Bajor Why? and left their children, their orf- orphans behind? It happens on Earth, too. It happened okay. in Vietnam, and it happened in Korea, and yeah, it happens. Deep Space Nine is dark. Let's talk next week, and let's lighten things up. I like that. So what are you going to have me watch for next week? Next week. So let's lighten things up and get a little bit of, uh, let's get some yucks going, because I think Deep Space Nine does some funny, funny stuff. That'll be good to see. Well, yeah, let's do it. So uh, we're gonna we're going to um, move into the second season here officially, and we're going to do it um, with a Quark episode. Okay. So this is going to feature Quark. To a lesser extent, it will feature his brother Rom. Okay. So you'll get to meet him. There are a lot of ensemble moments. You'll get to see, you know, several of the other characters. But we are going to be introducing or reintroducing a character that you have not yet met. I don't think you've met. Um, Grand Nagus Zek. I don't think I have met that. Joining us again. Yeah. So there was an episode in the first season. I'll mention it now. It, you can either go back and watch it or not. Um, but it's, uh, it's called the Nagus. It was the 11th episode and it introduces Wallace Shawn as Grand Nagus Zek, the leader of, Oh, oh, is that the actor that I'm thinking of? Who is the actor you're thinking of? Princess Bride. Inconceivable. Yes. That's him. Oh, I love him. That's him. He's been on a ton of other stuff too, but that's of course the one I associated with. That's the guy. I might just go back and watch that purely to watch him. He is a joy. You And he is a joy in that episode too. Let me explain to you why I chose to do this episode rather than that one for, okay. the, for the first. Because what, what I want to show you here is uh, the very first episode is Nagus, is the Nagus. And in that episode, it's basically introducing Ferengi culture to deep space nine people that don't know it yet. So sure. you've seen it. You've seen the misogyny. You've seen all the, you know, these guys are, they want, they like, if I, if I believe correctly, you've heard that they like their women naked. They're a misogynistic group. This first episode really explores that like a lot. Okay. Now in the second episode, we're going to start to see the beginnings of some subtle changes that are going to occur for the Ferengi. And that's this episode we're going to be watching. The name of it is Rules of Acquisition. Rules of Acquisition. And it's not as sexist. Oh, it's completely misogynistic. Oh, okay. 100%. You are, I, I make, and I am showing you this one on purpose. Okay. You're going to watch the first couple of scenes of this and you're just going to be like, seriously, really? <laughs> but by the end of it, you're going to be like, okay. Okay, I get why Andy showed me this one. Okay. <laughs> I hope. I hope well, we'll see. I, yeah. Should I say, I will be watching Rules of Acquisition uh, Sunday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time on April 29th. And if you want to catch that on Twitter, it's at Begin the Trek. It shows up on our Facebook at Beginning the Trek. And it does, when we publish the episode, get put on beginningthetrek.com. So that's where to find that. Awesome. But... You don't what? get a you don't get to get away without having to give a prediction. But before you give your prediction, I'm going to give you one more little tiny thing that you would have learned by now. Okay. And that is what the rules of acquisition actually are. The rules of acquisition would be considered Ferengi 
dogma. Okay. It's their religion. Okay. There's 285. Appropriate. Total rules. They get quoted frequently. This sounds like every corporation. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that the rules of acquisition are going to be a deal between Quark and a guest star in which he purchases women like slaves, maybe sex slaves. Whoa. And that's where we're going to get really dark and sexist and be like, Mm. But then the rules are going to come into play, and maybe they, the the um, the ladies who were purchased, use the own rules of acquisition against him and uh, get their freedom by saying, "Nah, because look, you believe in this too, and we are going to use that to like make our own freedom." I think that's what's going to happen. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how close you get. I noticed you had to put a little darkness in there. Hey, you said the entire first part was super sexist and misogynistic. So, oh, it's it's completely. It's not like I Star mean, Trek hasn't done sex slave things before. No, they have done sex slave things. It's so. not. And and we'll again. I'm sure we'll see that at some point, because sure, but. <laughs> We'll find out how close you are in your prediction next week. All right. When you watch Rules of Acquisition. This one's fun. This one this one just makes me laugh. So enjoy. Jessica, have a great time. We'll see you next week. You too. Bye. Bye. There was also another really great moment in this episode, and that was when they had the fuzzy picture. And they went all CSI and were like, enhance the picture. <laughs> right. I found that very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Focus in and we can somehow see behind that guy and all that stuff. Yeah. Using a little Star Trek tech. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs>